1: got a Bible, go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to begin today. And I thought we would do something a little different today. And uh, I used to do this all the time when I preached. I haven't done it in a while, but I thought maybe we'll kick it back in action today. So I want to stand for the reading of God's word. And I want to ask a young disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's growing in grace and knowledge, to come up and read the text today. I want you to put your hands together for Mr. Knox Mosgrove. All right? All right. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. He's going to read from the NIV.
0: At that time Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, "'Who made you ruler and judge over us? "'Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday?' When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the n- desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight." As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals s- sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come to set down. To come come down to set them free now, come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, "Who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Through, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own
1: people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us in space and time to pour into us your wisdom, your love. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Holy Spirit, shine such a bright light on the sun today. That, God, we would see him more clearly and we would be changed, God. We thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to gather around your word. We give you praise for it in Christ's name. And everybody sit. Come on, let Knox know one more time. You appreciate him reading. Great job, young man. Great job, great job, great job. Well, several years ago, um, I had a chance to go to a farm that I'd never visited before and For those of you who know me, I've grown up um, kind of on farmish settings, so I was in the rural area, and I spent a lot of time with the family members that were a part of my family around farms. My wife, I call her, as I told you last week, an asphalt baby, and so she goes to the farm with me, but she has a good time, and she's glad that it's over, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in hog heaven, so to speak, it's a wonderful experience, years ago I got to go to a farm, and and uh, it was called an organic farm. And I don't know about you, but I, all, I thought, when I was a child, I thought all farms were organic, okay? It's like growing out of the ground, it's got to be organic, right? I mean, that's what I thought growing up, but this organic farm was a bit different. And uh, this guy took me on a walk through his farm, and um, I, I have I've noticed that most people have this idea... When they think of a a farm, they think of perfect rows of tomatoes and then perfect rows of okra and then perfect rows of corn and perfect rows of peppers. They think of all this, you know, nice, uh, so to speak, organized, standardized farm. But farms are actually much more psychedelic than that. They really are. Uh, This farm, in, in particular, in between the rows were sheep, and the sheep were grazing on the food that was between the vegetables. And they explain that the way we try to farm in America and we try to make everything standardized is not the way God created it. God did not create farming to be so standardized. We do it for production's sake. We tend to standardize some things and when we do, they actually lose their dynamic. And so this farmer was talking about how many things have lost their dynamic. And so he would walk me through the farm of these different trees. I don't know if you know this or not, but the trees are interconnected. Trees have an internet system and that internet system is where they communicate to one another and one, one tree is lacking a mineral. It will send out a signal from those roots to the other tree and the tree will push minerals to this root system. And that's how God has made the ecosystem. It's pretty fabulous when you think about all the intention. And, and this farm had sheep between the rows. You say, why do they have sheep? Because sheep graze. And then what do, what do sheep do after they graze? They poop, right? They defecate. And they poop on the ground. And once they poop on the ground, the fertilizer is the waste. The waste becomes the fertilizer so the crops can grow so we can eat the crops. And he said, so many farmers today, they want to get rid of everything. He said, He said, you have to move, we have to move the herds every few days. He said, it's why predators are necessary. He said, you can't get rid of all coyotes, you can't get rid of all wolves. Those predators make the sheep move. And if the sheep don't move, then they'll keep pooping in the same place. Then they'll eat from the place that they're pooping, then they'll become diseased. And he talked about how everything in nature has very specific intention. Everything is designed specifically for God and by God. One of the beautiful things I think about nature is that in nature, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. My parents now live on a farm. They, they purchased about 20 acres, and they've now moved to that farm, and so they have tractors, and we were up there this week and spending time in, in the beautiful fall. Um, weather and beautiful colors and my dad's raising bees right now. so he's got people that are, are beekeepers that are helping him. beekeeping by the way is the second oldest profession known to man. Um, and it's pretty amazing when you when you study these bees right because bees pollinate over 15 billion dollars worth of crops each year 15 billion. In six weeks, a worker bee will work itself to death. So if a bee is born during the summer, it can work six weeks and it will die because it's working so hard. If it's born in the fall, it can last about nine months because they're not working as hard in the cold weather. But a six-week-old living bee will fly one and a half times around the earth in six weeks. One and a half times around the earth in six weeks, gathering pollen. When that bee... Makes honey. It makes one bee in one lifetime one twelfth of a teaspoon, one drop of one bee's entire lifetime on your your tongue or on that biscuit. It's really amazing when you think about it. the 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 honey the one pound of honey that you would get out of a hive uh, requires those bees to fly fifty five thousand miles. Okay, so they have to fly fifty five thousand miles to produce. One pound. Uh, The average American is about 1.4 pounds of honey per year. Is what's consumed. It's it's amazing. I mean, it would life as we know it, life on Earth would just totally be decimated instantly, should something happen to the bees. But not just bees. I, I started thinking about the coral reefs. The coral reefs are amazing, aren't they? They're so delicate. I got a friend who graduated college. He lives in Fiji and he is a marine biologist and he's just posting pictures every day at the bottom of the ocean studying coral reefs. That's all he does. And coral reefs are fantastic. I mean, just the beauty of the coral reefs and, and the amount of species, this beautiful wildlife and they're so complex. And it seems like the only thing that can really destroy the coral reefs are humans. We're the only ones that can destroy them. I went to a conference years ago and Beautiful conference, very brilliant conference. They were talking about botanists, and they had anthropologists there. And and they talked about how the earth is a unique system. And there was a photographer who came and took a picture of an orangutan uh, the day it died. And then they laid the orangutan down, and then she left. And two weeks later, she comes back, takes another picture of the orangutan, and all that's left are the bones. And the insects have literally eaten every bit of everything else. Why? Because in nature, nothing is wasted. There's nothing wasted. Insects ate the orangutan. In fact, I don't know about you, but I've never understood how the ocean doesn't get polluted except by humans. I mean, think about it. All the fish, all the sharks, all the octopus, the shrimps, the crustaceans. In fact, right now in the world... Scientists say that we know about 1 million species living in the ocean, but they estimate there's about 10 million species undiscovered. So right now we have about 10 million species just in marine life that are totally undiscovered by humans. They say 95% of the ocean is totally unexplored. So we've laid our eyes on 5% of the ocean. When you take one gallon of ocean water, they found over 100 million microbiomes in that one gallon. It is such an intricate planet you and I live on. It is fantastic when you begin to think about how everything exists for a purpose. But I've always thought, even as a young boy, I was always thinking, all these animals live in the ocean, they're all pooping, but they're not running the ocean. Like, how is that possible? They're all defecating and the ocean is not getting dirtier, at least from the animals. Like, how is it possible for termites and mosquitoes and beetles to exist and not ruin the natural order? I spent a considerable amount of time last night studying mosquitoes because I, like you, was wondering why Moses and why Noah brought them on the ark. Okay, I wish they'd have been killed too, but they actually have a lot of purpose. Mosquitoes have tons and tons of purpose in the ecosystem. And then you think about humans, and we see these images of plastic, plastics that are ruining the ocean, ruining the environment that we live in. In the 1970s, for those of you who are alive in the 1970s, do you remember when they had that old big campaign that? that we should use plastic bags, not paper bags. And they said, paper's bad because we're killing the trees. Was that not a costly mistake in our world? Probably one of the greatest mistakes we've made in terms of human civilization and the pollution of the earth that you and I are called to steward. Because we're making that which actually is not recyclable. And what happens is we create things that seem to stop the cycle of recreation. So I started wondering, If that's the way with God, is that the way it is with God in relationship to us? Is it possible? Let me say it this way Have you ever felt like your life has been wasted? Have you ever felt like you had a season of life that was wasted? Or maybe you wasted a moment? Or maybe you wasted a season of your life? Have you ever had a moment where you look back and you wonder, man, have I wasted that season? you ever had a moment where you stopped and pondered for a minute, did I waste those college years? And and here's the strange thing, church. If if you actually live an unnatural life, so if you live a life outside of the way God created you to live, you become plastic rather than human. And then you start wondering if your life was a mistake. You start wondering if your life was wasted. But I want you to know something. God has an amazing way that no matter what you've been through, God has an amazing way that no matter what you've experienced, God has an amazing way that no matter where you've been in life, God has an incredible way of pulling you together because with God, there is nothing wasted. With God, there is nothing. Nothing wasted. So I was looking at Moses' life, and Moses is so interesting to me because his life was one of an epic ending, but a really horrific beginning and a really horrific middle. In fact, you got to wait a long time for the epic ending. And the way that Scripture is posed to us is Moses' story is kind of written fast at the beginning and slow at the end. The emphasis of Scripture is lots of focus on when Moses made a different difference in the world and very little focus on the time when Moses didn't know if he was different at all. But there's this moment in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen, preaching the only sermon he ever preached because he'd be killed right after this, he begins to preach about Moses. He begins to give us a great diatribe about Moses. He communicates to us of how he has interpreted Moses' life. Starting in verse 20 again, notice what he said, at that time that Moses was born, I'll tell you what that means in just a minute, but notice what it said. And he was no ordinary child. By the way, can I stop right here and say, you when you were born, you were no ordinary child? When you were born, you were no ordinary child. No matter what anyone else has told you, no matter what a dad has told you, no matter what people have told you, no matter what quote-unquote friend groups have told you, when you were born, you were born extraordinary. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and go on record and saying I'm convinced there has never been an ordinary human being ever created on the planet. Never been an ordinary being. And yet the tragedy is, for a lot of us, we live painfully ordinary lives. So the question, I think, is how did we begin so extraordinary and end so ordinary? How do we begin with such an extraordinary genesis and end with such an ordinary life? He goes on and says that for three months he was cared for by his family. Verse 21, when he was placed outside, folks, that phrase has so much texture so much texture. When he was placed outside, he had no safety on the inside. He was placed outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son and Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was educated in all the culture and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated. He went, took uh, vengeance on him, killed the man, thought that his own people realized God was using him to rescue them, but his own people did not realize that. So the next day, he came upon two Israelites. They're fighting. He said, Brothers, why in the world are you fighting? Why do you want to hurt each other, but the man who was mistreating him pushed him aside, said to him, Moses, who made you ruler and judge over us? Oh, are you thinking about killing me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he was so scared, he fled to Midian. He goes on the backside of a desert where he settled as a foreigner. There's another phrase with so much texture. Where he settled as a foreigner. He settled as a foreigner, and he had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him through this burning bush, flames of burning bush. And the Bible said at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He turns over to look, and when he turns over to look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and dared not look at the bush. And the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. Take off anything, Moses, that's man-made. I want nothing between you and me right now. Any self-sufficiency and any effort to try to approach me, get rid of it. It's you and I together. I want your bare feet that I created on the ground I created. That's our meeting ground. That's where I want you. I've indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. I, I, I know that I have come down. Notice, this, God said, I have come down to set them free. Time out. Where did He come down? I don't see God showing up, helping these people who are there for 400 years. Oh, oh, the way He came down was through, through a man. So God actually comes down through people. That's interesting. You want a high? There's no higher leadership pedagogy in the Scripture than that right there. God said, I came down. How did He come down? Through a man named Moses. To a foreigner who had attempted to settle. Now, come, I'll send you back to Egypt. And the Bible says this is the same Moses that had been rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be ruler and delivered by God himself through this angel. He led them out, performed signs and wonders of the Red Sea for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the same Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Church, I love the story of Moses for many reasons, but one of the great reasons I love the story of Moses is because Moses' story is so unexpected. It is a wonderful reminder that the way you start doesn't have to be the way you finish. That how you begin doesn't have to be the way you end. I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of people who feel like they've had a bad start in life. I, I meet a lot of people, I counsel a lot of people who spend their life feeling like they're trying to catch up to everyone else who got a good start. They feel like they're spinning their wheels in the spiritual remedial class where everybody else has taken off ahead of them. They feel like they're unable because of their deficit from the start to ever be or ever do anything significant. I love that opening phrase because it said, at the time Moses was born. Let me translate that for you. That was a bad time for Moses to be born. You say, Craig, why was it a bad time for Moses to be born? Have you ever wondered why God picked you to be born of the parents that you're born of? Have you ever sat and reflected on why you were born in the nation you were born? Have you ever thought why were you born in the time frame you were born, the city you were born, to whom you were born? Have you ever thought about why God gave you the skin color you have? Have you ever sat back and thought about why you have the ethnicity that you have? Have you ever sat back and thought about, man, why do I have the parents I have? The Bible says at that time, there was a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. Remember, the previous Pharaoh had remembered Joseph, Previous, previous Pharaoh. Why? Because Joseph was his interpreter. He was lord over all the kingdom. And, and so God had been really good to the Egyptians through the Hebrews. But this Pharaoh forgot about it. He forgot that God's blessing had come upon his own people because of the Hebrews. He had forgotten that God made the Hebrews and the Egyptians one people. God had connected them. These were not enemies. These were people that were working together. And so he says, I've forgotten it. And so he decided to wipe them out altogether. So what did he do? He placed an edict into the nation. He sent an edict to kill all the firstborn sons. And Moses himself was a firstborn son. And as such, he should have been killed. See, some of you in this room, maybe you thought you were born at a disadvantage. Maybe you thought you were born... and. And you had a couple of steps to take before you even caught up to where other people began. One of the things that Moses' story can let you know is it doesn't matter how you start. You don't have to finish like that. I remember when I was in middle school, I was a, I was a track guy. I couldn't run track in high school because it, it, it coincided with baseball. But that's the way middle school sports do. And so i never forget, I was at a regional meet at Red Bank High School. And, and I was doing multiple events. I was the 110-meter hurdler. I had those long legs. I could hurdle those hurdles. And um, at least in a race, I never, I never bit the dust. I never ate the track. Okay, now I did many times in practice, but I never ate it during an actual meet. Okay, and I just got done running the 200 meter dash, and I was done. And so I'm nervous. You know, it's it's a it's a night meet, it's a regional meet, and so I'm nervous. You know, um, and I go over, and I'm setting up on the side with 110-meter hurdles, and I get my blocks. I've done this so many times. I put my blocks on the ground. I got my track spikes, my shoes, and I get my blocks on the ground. I get my feet like I want my feet, and I bend down, and I remember the guy, the starter, saying, set, and then, and the gun went off. And when the gun went off in that moment, here is all the people that were in the lanes next to me exploded out of the blocks except for me. And for me, the blocks went shooting in the opposite direction. And I went face down into the ground. Why? I had forgotten to nail the blocks into the track. Now, I've done this so many times. And I would tell you, when I went face down to the ground, it was one of the most humiliating moments up to that point in my life. I was as embarrassed as embarrassed could be. Why? Because I looked up with my chin on the dirt, on the, on the, on the, con- uh, the, uh, the rubber. And as I'm looking up, I'm watching... Everyone take off running, and I know that there is absolutely no way to ever catch up. In many ways, most people I counsel in life, that is a perfect metaphor for their own life. Man, there is nothing more hopeless than to see people take off around you. And you know you will never, ever catch up before the race is done. You never catch up. You feel that you're remedial. In many ways, people feel like they're always starting late. Moses started his life in the worst of situations. Look at verse 21. The Bible says he was placed outside. When Moses was placed outside, y'all, that phrase has so much text here. Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him. What's going on here? The member of the Edith is to kill all the firstborn sons. So the family says, we've got to find a way to save our son. And they can't find a way to save the son, so they come up with an idea. They, get, they go down in the lagoon, the short water, the shallow water, and they get the bulrushes, and they begin to weave together an ark of bulrushes, a, a vessel, and they take the infant and they place it in the bulrushes, in the vessel, and they send the vessel off down the Nile River. Now that's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, you've got crocodiles everywhere on the Nile River. This baby could be eaten by crocodiles, but number two, he could drown and die a very painful death as an infant sucking water down his lungs and yet his parents had to place him outside why? because there was no safety for him on the inside There was no safety on the inside. He was placed on the outside. And out of all the people that could have found him, Pharaoh's daughter is down in the lagoon and she's bathing. And she sees an ark of bulrushes, and she brings it over. And isn't it so amazing that the very man who had commanded his death will now become his protector? I mean, isn't this amazing? The very man who just edically declared, you got to die, now becomes the protector. And and Pharaoh's daughter gets him, and then it it, it actually gets better. Can you imagine being raised by a surrogate mother whose father wants you dead? Moses was was placed on the outside. You thought you had family issues. This is family issues. Then on top of that, his real mom comes to work for his not real mom, kind of like the milk nurse. And in that moment, he's not a Hebrew anymore because he's trained by the Egyptians, but he's not an Egyptian because he's actually a Hebrew by birth. And so Moses doesn't know who he actually is. We so romanticize Moses. Moses is confused as confused can be. He has no idea who he is. He's he's an identity crisis. And Moses, the Bible said, was placed outside. I want you to know with God there is nothing wasted. With God, there's nothing wasted. See, every wound you have, God can use. Everything you've ever suffered, God can use. See, sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're too broken for God to use. We're too broken for God to do anything significant with our lives. And we feel we started at too much of a deficit for our lives to amount to something significant. I want you to know something today. That there is nothing in your life that God cannot use to make your life better going forward. There's nothing. Why? Because in nature and with God, Nothing is wasted. Moses was placed outside. Some of you understand this because you were immigrants. You were immigrants to America. And so what that means is English is not your first language. You had to learn English. And so what you do is you feel that like many times in your life, you've been on the outside looking in. And maybe even at times you've been angry saying, God, why am I an outsider looking in? Maybe some of you even here, you have complained to God and said, why am I never a part of the sinner? And I just got a proposal today. Is it possible that God wants you to be an outsider because the outsiders are the ones who need you the most? That the ones estranged are the ones who need the ministry of God's Spirit through you the most. So instead of lamenting and being bitter, instead of saying, oh, I have all these scars and I have all these wounds, realize that the wounds and the scars in your life are the markers that make you relevant for the people who carry the same wounds and the same scars. That God uses those wounds to minister to others. Moses was placed outside. I think most of us spend our entire lives trying to be put on the Inside, but God placed him on the outside so he could actually lead those who were estranged. See, God knew his people, Hebrews, would be outsiders for 400 years. And so God said, I'm going to do something about it. You know how God starts a ministry? He finds a man or a woman. And he makes the man or woman. That's how he starts ministry. And he said, oh, I've got to get him on the outside. I can't have him growing up with the Hebrews. He won't understand all the Egyptians and how they how they are slave drivers to the Hebrews. So I'm going to get him outside. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cause an edict. And after the edict, I'm going to take what the enemy meant for good or for evil. And I'm going to put him in an ark of bulrushes. And I'm going to have Pharaoh's daughter find him. And after Pharaoh's daughter find him, I'm going to pay his mom to actually take care of him. And she's going to get hired on to take care of him. And he's going to be trained. Why? Because God is the Alpha and Omega. He knows your beginning from your end. That means he knows what He's called you to. he started with you in the end and then he he made sure he worked his way backward in reverse engineering to make sure he put everything in you that would be needed to accomplish his will and purpose in your life why with god nothing is wasted the hebrews for their 400 years would always be looking from the outside the entire Hebrew people were strangers in a strange land and sometimes we look at ourselves and we think oh I'm too damaged. Sometimes you look back and you think God why did you allow this in my life with my parents. I want you to know we have a world full of pain. We have a world full of disappointment. We have a world full of of challenge. We have a world full of suffering. We have a world full of failure but I want you to realize that those wounds, those scars are not the waste of your life because with God nothing is is wasted. God takes all those wounds. God takes all those scars. God takes all of that pain. God takes all of that discouragement. God takes all of that challenge and he shapes you to become someone that the world desperately needs. See the the places that are most tender in us are the most truthful places in us. And they're the only places that we can speak from if we want our words to change the people that hear them. Oh, I know it hurts, it's so tender, but it's the only place where truth really resides. It's in that tenderness. I tell people all the time, we cannot minister to people in the 21st century until we show them our proper credentials. And they're not ordination papers, and they're not degrees, they're scars. The credential of a 21st century minister is a scar-filled human. A scar-filled human, a wounded human. We are wounded healers, right? That's what we are. And yet, with God, nothing is wasted. Moses didn't know who he was. He, imagine being raised by the Egyptians and being Hebrew, but you'll never be accepted by the Egyptians because you're Hebrew. But now you're not Hebrew anymore because you're being raised by the Egyptians. So now the Hebrews don't accept you anymore because you've been raised by the Egyptians. He has no idea who he is. Listen, Moses didn't belong anywhere or to anyone. He was a nomad. He was a foreigner in a strange land. Sometimes... Sometimes people people ask me, and we misunderstand it, but I've had people ask me through the years, they say things like this. They say, Pastor Craig, how is it possible for you to understand people so well? And I'm a pastor, you know I'm a pastor at heart. How, how is it possible to understand people so well? And I guess the only answer I have for that, I think I understand people so well because I spent my entire life trying to understand myself. In, in other words... If you can be honest about the pain in your life. If you can be honest about the disappointment in your life. If you can be honest about the wounds you bear. If you can be honest about the fears you have. If you can be honest about the doubts you carry. If you can be honest about the scars that are under your clothes. If you can be honest about the failures in your life. If you can be honest about the disappointments. Now you can understand everyone else in the world. Let me say it this way. It's only when you're dishonest with yourself. That you become estranged from everyone else. I don't have to say it to people in church. Listen, the reason you feel so isolated and not friendly with friends around you is because you won't be honest with your own failures. But if you will, I promise you, you will no longer be estranged to anyone. It's only when I'm dishonest about my pain that I become estranged to God's people. It's the honesty that connects me to His church. It's the authenticity. See, it's only when I'm dishonest with my own doubts. I become estranged with the people around me. In verse 22, he goes on to say, look what he said. He said, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Y'all, <laughs> I'm thinking, what a waste of an education. Right? Moses being educated in the place of the Egyptians, when God knew all along he would lead the people of Israel out, so why educate him in the ways of Egyptians if you're going to use him to be the founder of Israel? Well, he's not the founder. Abraham's that, but at least the greatest prophet. Why are you going to... Educate him in the Egyptians' language, the Egyptians' literature, if you're going to use him to find, to found a nation called Israel. You ever felt like in life somehow you just didn't get it right? Oh, I meet people like this. You ever felt like you just made the wrong decision? I meet people who changed careers like eight times. I mean, like eight, I'm not talking about small career shifts. I'm talking about people with significant career shifts, like they're nursing majors and now I'm a photographer. Okay? Like I was a political science major and now I'm a minister. Okay, like we're talking about major shift, like I'm a medical doctor, I was a medical doctor, but now I'm a painter. I mean, I meet people like this, right? I meet people all the time, they say, hey, yeah, I went to school as a human development major, but now I'm in business. Is this not the language of our nation? I hear this all the time. Yes, I'm a lawyer, but I'm actually selling real estate. And there are so many of us that go, man, what was I thinking? Like, was I wasting that whole season of life? Because it didn't take me to where I thought I was going. I look back on my life, church, and sometimes I look back on my life, and and, and see, I don't know if you know this or not, but I didn't know I was going to become a follower of God. That wasn't in my future plans. So when I was 12, I didn't write down, "Mm, you're going to become a follower of God as a late teenager. I didn't have that in my plans. I didn't have it in my plans at all. I had no idea I'd ever be speaking on a stage trying to get people to convince them that God loves them and that without God, their whole life won't make sense. I never knew I'd be doing this. I never dreamed I'd be standing here. I had not even one inclination or thought of it as a child. But I look back and I think, man, I was such a conscientious student. I was. I was a straight-A student. I was a little bit of a a book nerd in the sense of I loved to read from an early age. And and I've often asked, Lord, God, why did you have me waste years of my life studying Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Locke. Like, God, why did I waste years reading Thoreau's Walden over and over and over and over? You can only go to the pond so many times, okay? You can only go there and think so many times. But I read Thoreau over and over. HDT was my man, right? I I was always with Henry David Thoreau. I was always reading philosophy. I was always drenching my mind. And when I became a follower of Christ. People told me, oh, you got to get rid of those books, get rid of that stuff. And for a while, it seemed I had wasted years of my life studying the wrong things because they didn't prepare me for the life that God had for me. And then I found out Moses was educated in the way of the Egyptians. Then I found out Moses was educated. It was actually God's strategy for him. See, some of you don't even realize that your education is not incidental. Some of you don't even realize that your, your your major was not incidental. What you learned in life is not incidental. What God has placed inside of you is actually matters. There is a contribution you can make to the world around you. It doesn't matter what domain you study, studied. It doesn't matter what discipline you chose. It doesn't matter if you started art or architecture. It doesn't matter if you, if you, if you, are, a, you, you are a teacher an educator or a scientist. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. God has been sending you through school called life so that you can make a difference in the world around you the bible said he was powerful in speech and action and through the years I, I, i've loved being in the room with brilliant people i watch youtube videos of brilliant people i'm talking about people who who i love to listen to people who don't even believe in god i love to listen to scientists i love to listen to apologists i love to listen i learn from them the great insights that they're learning from their studies and to realize by the way that all truth is god's truth and you don't actually have to know god to discover something about what god did You understand this, right? You don't have to know God to understand something God did in the world. There are many scientists, there are many very intelligent, smart people who understand what God did and don't believe in God. All truth is God's truth. Now I look back and realize that as a kid I was... I mean, it was immersing my mind in Roald Dahl and Ben Carson. I mean, I'm at nine years old, drenching my mind in Ben Carson's, the ability to, to lead St. John Hopkins University Hospital and, and be the first one to separate conjoined twins by the head. And I remember drenching my mind in Andre Norton and science fiction and drenching my mind from age nine. I was It prepared me for this story today. Why? Because who would have ever thought that reading people who had such an expansive imagination, who would have ever thought as an eight-year-old reading people when I didn't even even know God, that would expand my mind, would teach me to actually dream and to imagine when I came a follower of Jesus. See, God already knew. He already knew the beginning from the end. And yet, the education was never incidental. Why? Because with God, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. I want you to know there is nowhere and there is no one that you cannot learn from. No one. You, you can learn from every person on the planet if you know the right questions to ask. You can. There is something wrong in the modern understanding of faith. We think we only need to learn from each other and not learn from anyone. Listen to me. If you only listen to people you agree with, you are not learning anything. You only learn when you hear somebody who doesn't agree with what you say. And that's why when you get on social media and you say something somebody else don't agree with, they don't want to listen to you. They want to fight with you. And that's why. Because we don't want to learn. You can only learn when you hear somebody who doesn't agree with what you agree with. If not, you're just having an exercise in agreement. Learning anything by people agreeing with you. You learn something when somebody has an opposing view than you, and you listen to them. You hear them, you try to learn from them. If you can't learn from people who see the world differently than you, then you will stop expanding your mind, your soul, your essence. Craig Moscow's essence will shrink when he stops listening to people who don't agree with what he agrees with. We got to keep learning, keep growing. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Notice this, and he was skilled. And speech and action, why? Because we've gone nothing is wasted. Let me tell you church, every skill you've learned, every lesson you've learned, all of that was a part of the journey of God, teaching you and schooling you and educating you and preparing you. Some of you don't even realize you are engineers and we need you. Some of you are educators and we need you. Some of you are businessmen and we need you. Some of you are doctors and we need you. Some of you are teachers and we need you. Some of you are dancers and we need you. You have a unique contribution that only God has placed inside of you and the world needs you to use it as a gift to the world, to serve Other people. He he goes on in verse 23 and he says, But when Moses, watch this, when Moses, I love this text, when he was, go to verse 23, he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, and he saw one of them being mistreated, and he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Y'all pause real quick. Anyone think that's a good idea? Killing the Egyptian? No. Yeah, I get a kick out of when preachers get up. I think it's funny when people read the Bible and they find a hero in the Bible and they think everything they did was right. Yo, that was not right. God did not want him to kill an Egyptian, okay? Stop romanticizing people in Scripture. He made a bad, bad mistake. Really, really bad mistake. He killed an Egyptian. That was not God's purpose, okay? Oh, but mm, God was on his side. We justify the tar out of biblical characters, don't we? But no, that was horrible. There was nothing good about that. That was a bad decision. This was wrong. He was not supposed to do that. Now look at verse 25. Moses thought that his own people would realize <laughs> Gosh, you hear the humor in Stephen's voice. He's about to die, by the way, too. He, he said, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Wow! How surprising! They didn't trust the killer. He killed a dude yesterday, he shows up. Hey, killed him for you. Are <laughs> you feeling good? And they're like, scared to death. Why would you be? They didn't, he couldn't understand why they didn't see the love of God in him. You threw a dude off a scaffolding yesterday. I mean, I mean this is this is an identity crisis man right here. This is a guy not knowing his left from his right in many different ways. And y'all this situation to me just makes it so clear of how broken Moses was. He was so broken in his identity he thought God would want him to kill an Egyptian. He was so broken he thought that was the right thing to do. You know why Moses came to that conclusion? Can I tell you? Cuz that's what he was taught. His dad, Pharaoh, had one solution to every wrong person in the kingdom. Kill him. You get on his bad side, kill him. You disagree with him, kill him. You don't like what he likes, kill him. That's what he was taught. So Moses here was like his father, Pharaoh, and he killed the man. Verse 26. He goes on, the next day Moses came upon Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, look at the irony. You're brothers. Why are you trying to hurt each other? I know I threw a man off the high high part here yesterday, but why are y'all trying to hurt each other? Come on, be nice. But the man who was mistreating the other one pushed him aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Y'all, this is telling. Y'all, don't miss this. This is so telling of Moses because Moses didn't feel guilty till he was caught. He didn't feel guilty the day before when he threw him off. He only felt guilty when he was caught. You see how broken he was? I know people like this. They're not ever guilty. Never a guilty conscience when they've done wrong. They're only guilty when they're caught for doing wrong. It shows something of the character of Moses. It shows something of what God was attempting to do in Moses. He's he's now scared. He now feels guilty because somebody found him. Because somebody saw him do it. And the Bible said he ran for his life. He fled to Midian. Notice what the next said. Where he settled as a foreigner where he settled as a foreigner. So many of us feel like our lives are wasted, not just because we're broken and we have wounds, or we carry the pain of our past into our future. And by the way, can I say real quick, the only way to get rid of the pain of your past is to forgive, y'all. only way to get rid of the pain of your past is to forgive. And one of the things about Moses I love is Moses never goes back and tries to retaliate against Pharaoh. Even when God's power is on his side with his, uh, with his ten plagues, he never uses it for his own personal vengeance. He just says, I'm not going to let bitterness stay in my heart. I forgive Pharaoh. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. I'm not going to be embittered. He puts it behind him. So sometimes we feel like we haven't been prepared for the challenges ahead of us. We feel ill prepared. I want you to know God has been preparing you. You just didn't realize it. You've been in his school. You've just not realized that God has been putting in you what you need for the future. And what happens is you realize with God there is nothing that is wasted even in your failures. Every time you fail there is this instinct that says oh I I, I was just, I just wasted my life. Here Moses kills someone he runs for his life y'all and he wastes the next 40 years of his life wandering in a wilderness being something he's not supposed to be he's not supposed to be a person who is herding sheep he's not supposed to be a shepherd you ever felt like you just made a decision that cost you your life you ever felt like you just made a decision with overwhelming consequences you ever felt like in life you just made a decision that was so overwhelming have you ever had that moment where you just wish I wish God would kill me You never had that moment I don't know if I can go on another step. I really don't know if I can take one more step. I can't take this. And you know what's really, really frustrating, church? is when you have nobody else to blame for it but yourself. Oh, it's really frustrating. You made the bad decision and you know... This is on me. Sometimes we make decisions in life that cripple us and they steal from us our future. And rather than realizing there is no wasting with God. See, sometimes maybe you in this room, you've failed miserably in the past. You've messed up and there's no one to blame but you. And you feel trapped inside. You feel trapped in the past. You feel trapped in the mistake of your past. I want to tell you the only way to leave your past in the past is to let God create a new future. And that's what he does. See, God is amazing, y'all. Every time you failed, you thought it was waste, but God says, for me, it was fertilizer. It's going to take a minute for some of you. Every time you failed, you thought, oh, it's waste. God says, nope, that's fertilizer for the future I have for you. Because there are choices you'll make, and you're going to have to own them. And there will always be people, don't miss this, who try to define you by your worst moment in life. Listen, there will be co-workers who try to define you by your worst moment there will be people who try to define you verbally by your worst moment there will be people who always look at Moses and say oh he's just that guy, he's just a killer oh he's just this individual and they'll never see who God made him to be can I just say something to us this morning I want you to hear me clearly you cannot let other people keep you in your worst past you cannot let other people keep you verbally in your worst past you need to realize that with God there is no waste so every failure God will use as a way of making you stronger Every failure God will use as a way of making you more honest. Every failure in your life God will use as a way, of way, a way of making you more authentic. Every failure God will use as a way of making you more trustworthy for people around you. Every failure God will use as making a way for people to follow your leadership even more. But the Bible says he, he settled. He settled as a foreigner. For Most of us, we don't keep repeating the same self-destructive behaviors. Most of the time, we just settle for a lesser life. I wonder if God was writing your story. Look at me, church, right now. If he was writing your story in a book, if right now he would say, comma, and he settled. I wonder if God would say in your book right now, comma, and she settled. Comma, and they settled. Some of you here, you settled for less because you believe what others said about you. Some of you in this room, you settle for less because you thought you were your worst moment. Some of you, you settle for less. Why? When God has always created you for more, but yet you're settling as a foreigner for less. Well, God's too good to let you settle. He'll come to you in a burning bush. He'll have the advancement of product placement. You know what product placement is. Jack Bauer jumps in a... Truck, he's running away, and it's an F-150. F-150 paid like $7 million to get that F-150. God created product placement long before any humans did. He puts bushes. Over here, he's got clouds. Over here, he's got a Ninja Turtle lunchbox with five loaves and two fish. I mean, he's got product placement everywhere. God's a mastermind. It's his world. The earth is full of his glory. He goes on in verse 30. I'm almost finished with what he said. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. I'm concerned. And he saw this burning bush. He said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and dared not look. And the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. Place your standings holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression. I've heard their groaning. And I've come down to set them free. Who has? I have. How did you do it, God? Through Moses. Now come, I will send you. Wait, you just said you're coming down. (laughs) No, I'm going to send you to my people. No, that's not a part of the deal, God. You said you were going to come down to Egypt. Now you're sending me to be you? Isn't that that leadership? And look at this next part. Oh, I love this verse. It's almost like Stephen wants you to know something. Verse 35, he said, this is the same Moses. This is the same Moses. This ain't a different Moses. This is the same Moses. Moses who had been rejected with the words. Can I say today this is the same Moses who came out of brokenness. This is the same Moses who was considered insignificant. This is the same Moses who was thrown into a river. This is the same Moses who was put into an ark of bulrushes. This is the same Moses who was raised by the Egyptians. This is the same Moses who was found by Pharaoh's daughter. This is the same Moses who never knew who he was. This is the same Moses who lived his life in identity crisis. This is the same Moses... Moses who ran for his life. This is the same Moses who was scared on the backside of a desert. And this was the same Moses that God took and used him to set his people free. You see what the writer's trying to get you to see? It's the same Moses. Why? Because with God nothing is wasted. God, listen, has never looked at a human being and said, "Mm, nothing there for me. Now God looks at you even in your worst moments and sees what you can't see knows that every part of your life is redeemable, is reconcilable. See, I I thought about it this week. We as humans are the only species to have two different disposable trash cans. We have one for waste and one for recyclables, but everything else in creation only has one trash can. It's called recyclables. Humans are the only thing that create things that can't be recreated. Why? Because with God, nothing... Is wasted. It's the way he made the universe. It's the way he made our lives. With him. It can go back down into the ground. It's all recyclable. And it's time to stop living our lives. Making plastic. Why? Because you and I were made of divine material. Divine material. And all of us at some point in our journey. Are going to face this overwhelming experience of insecurity. Insecure, you know what insecurity is? It's that voice inside of you that whispers, I am not blank enough. Insecurity says, I'm not blank enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not young enough. Can I ask you a question? What most often goes in that blank for you? What do you fill in that blank with? I'm not funny enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not capable enough, Pastor Craig. I feel like this whole life is a delicious bowl of soup and I'm a fork. I'm incapable. Maybe you just got hired for a job and you're not sure you can do it. And what's worse, you're pretty sure no one on the job thinks you can do it either. You're pretty sure when you see other people gathered around at lunch break or the water cooler, they're laughing about something and it's you. Or maybe you embarked on a new season of life, being a mom. Maybe you got a new assignment in your career. Maybe you're going into retirement and you don't think you have what it takes to succeed in this chapter. Let me tell you something. Every parent feels like this. Yes? I mean... Nothing destroys your feelings of self-competency like being a human parent. I had a mentor tell me early on, he said, listen, Craig, listen, you've got to hear me out. The only possible way to be happy as a parent is to lower your expectations of everything in your life. I thought that was real encouraging. He said, just lower them, dude, just start lowering them or you're going to be miserable your whole life. Raising kids in this world is an absolute supernatural miracle of God. It's an absolute supernatural miracle. It will destroy your self-confidence. Or maybe you're dating someone and you're not sure, if you measure up to their family's expectations. One guy I talked to said that every dinner he felt like was a tryout and he felt like at some point he was going to be asked to leave the room so the family could vote on him. Some of you are married and you still feel that way 15 years later. I know of one guy who said that a girl broke up with him because she said he was too insecure and he said, Craig, how's that supposed to help me? I already knew I was insecure before I dated her and she told me I was insecure and dumped me. How's that supposed to help me? I'm so insecure, I'm hanging on to you by every thread in my body and then you break up with me and say, I'm insecure. (laughs) Do I have what it takes? Maybe you feel like God's called you to a ministry and you just feel utterly incapable. And at some point, you're going to be hit with insecurity. let me tell you, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter have made it about a thousand times worse. Because no matter what you do, there's always somebody that does it better than you. I refuse to go on the gram around Valentine's Day because no matter what I've done for my wife, no matter what I've done, there's always some Joe Blow out there putting me to shame. I go and get roses for my wife, surprise her with notes all over the house. When she brushes her teeth, another note. Open the refrigerator, another note. I take her out to her favorite dinner, and then I find out, I click on Facebook, some friend from college... He got his girl a pony and took her backpacking through Europe. I'm like, there's no need to even get on there. Right? That's why we're so insecure because we always, constantly in this world, compare our behind-the-scenes footage to other people's highlight reel. And when you see everybody else highlight and you know you're behind the scenes, you, you feel insecure. You feel insecure. So he ends with this passage. Come on, Jesse. Exodus 3, the Lord said... I have indeed seen the misery of my people. He's speaking through the burning bush. And he heard them crying out from their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians so now go Moses I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt but watch this verse y'all but Moses said to God who am I who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt hold on wait a minute Moses when did we start talking about Moses up until this point in the conversation all we have talked about is God we talked about what God doing who God is what God's going to do but now Moses makes himself the point of the conversation. Isn't that what happens when God comes to you? God's been talking about God. God's really good talking about God because God is God and He knows that all things work together when He is God. And so now He comes to us and calls us to be a part of His plan and what do we do? We immediately start talking about us. We immediately put the narrative on us and God says, I'm not talking about you. I don't need you to be a victor, Moses. I need you to be a vessel. I never came to you because I thought that you were. I came to you because I know that I am. I am that I am that I am that I am. And whatever you aren't, whatever your aren'tness is, is going to be overcome by my amness. So stop talking about yourself. That's not why I came to you, Moses. I didn't come to you to do some self-evaluation and reflection here about how you can get better as a deliverer. I came here to tell you I created you in your mother's womb and put you in an ark about 49, 50 years ago. And I put you down the Nile River. And I educated you in the Egyptians' culture because I got one desire to set my people free. And I'm going to use you, brother right commentators say this reveals the deep insecurities in Moses he said who am I because a couple chapters earlier his own people had said who are you that you would be ruler and judge so he heard it from his friends long enough that it Seeped into his soul. Maybe that's happened to you. You were criticized so much for so long, you start believing those things about yourself. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your stepdad. Maybe it was an ex-spouse. Maybe it was an abusive boss. They threw shade at you for so long, you started to believe them. Well, that's what Moses did. But God said, "Watch this. Watch him. Watch how God deals with insecurity. It's so different from how we deal with insecurity." But God said, "I will be with you, Moses." be with you. Notice how God deals with Moses' insecurities. Not in the way we do it. Not by reinforcing Moses with positive thoughts or helping him discover his potential. His inner tiger. He didn't say to him, Moses, look into the mirror. Look in your eyes. Repeat after me. My name is Moses. I'm a bad man. I can do whatever God's called me to do. He didn't say Moses. Visualize. Close your eyes. You ready? Walk, visualize yourself walking into Pharaoh's court. You're bad. You're ready to go. Experience the feeling of taking him down. Now open your eyes and look in the mirror and say, I am Moses. And I will do what God's called me to do. No, no. God just subtly shifts the narrative back to himself and says, but I will be with you. Why? Let me tell you why, church. Let me tell you why. Because real confidence, genuine courage, genuine bravery does not come from a better assessment of yourself, but a clear view of God. You don't get more courage for your calling by reassessing your potential. You get courage for your calling by looking again at God. by seeing God more clearly? Moses ain't enough. He said, well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? What should I do then? And God totally ignores Moses' question for the next nine verses. He only talks about himself. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I will do. Moses! It's not about you having what it takes. This is about me accomplishing my purposes. You have a role in that, Moses, but I don't need you to be a victor, Moses. I need you to be a vessel. Let me say it again, church. Confidence does not come from discovering the greater things about yourself. It does not come from tapping into your potential. It comes from seeing how big and how powerful God is and allowing His purposes to sweep up your life. So, you're operating in a sphere of usefulness with His divinity. Several years ago, I was at General Assembly. I have no way of verifying the story is true, but a man told me. He told me in the 1950s, there was a group of Asian, Southeast Asian believers, or, or fishermen, who were discovered floating off the coast of one of the islands holding on to the wreckage of a ship. And they were holding on for dear life. And the authorities picked them up, and these people, these fishermen, these Asian fishermen kept complaining of how um, they had been attacked by a cow from heaven they said a cow kept coming from heaven and attacking them they thought man these people are dehydrated or something man this is kind of weird dehydration man and lo and behold they found out on the mainland right next to the island there was a US Air Force base and a B-52 bomber you know drops the bombs they were doing their test runs and they said they were going down the the runway one day, this is the 1950's and there was a grass, or a cow that was just grazing through the grass next to the runway and they thought, man this would be kind of cool we can have steak later they don't know where the cow came from so they reached that little grabber picked up that cow and put him in the, the bomb bay and they said, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens and they take off and they get out over the ocean and I guess the cow started losing oxygen and they said the thing started going ballistic, kicking doing everything you can. And so they thought, what's the only thing we can do? Drop him. So they open up the Bombay doors and these guys are down in the ocean holding onto this wreckage, watching a cow come from heaven, flying at them. Yo, I have no way to verify that story is true or not, but if it is, I have to wonder what was in the fishermen's minds as they saw a cow plummeting towards the ocean from the skies. I bet they thought, we better move. Or what was going through the cow's mind? Utter destruction, utter destruction, utter destruction. Sorry, no more cow puns. I just had to milk it for all it's worth. Um, but I thought. You like that? I thought it. Isn't that how we discover God's purposes? We're like a little cow walking through our little journey just trying to find the next blade of grass and all of a sudden sucks us up it sweeps us up into a realm and dimension that is so much higher than what we've ever dreamed and then we realize with God nothing is wasted some of you you approach God to try to see how he can help you achieve your life's purposes you got it all wrong you're supposed to approach God surrendering to His. And that's where confidence really comes from. He wants to sweep you up. God said to Moses, I end, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. Say to Egyptians, I am has sent me to you. Do You know what God's name? God's name is not a name per se. It's a verb. In Hebrew, it's Hayah. Sound like you're karate chopping somebody. That's Adonai in English. Hayah. Hayah. Everybody say it. Say, Hayah. You should spit on the person in front of you. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. We write it Jehovah. We write it Jehovah, it literally means I am. God is saying, Moses, I'm not like anything you've ever experienced. I don't have needs. I don't require any help. I don't get tired. I have no limits. I don't have a beginning. I won't have an ending. I am unbounded. I am unchanging. I am always and forever the same. I'm not intimidated by Pharaoh. I'm not intimidated by your sin. I'm not intimidated by anything you face in your life. I'm not limited to by your unabilities. The burning bush is supposed to give us a glimpse of God's eternal self-sustaining nature. Everything else that has a fire has to have fuel. God says, I need no fuel. I have no beginning. I have no end. I'll burn all that I want to burn. I'll never end burning. I'll burn when I want to burn. I'll not burn when I want to burn. And what is he saying? Fires need fuel. They consume the fuel. They go out. The fire Moses saw was self-sustaining. In the same way, God, the eternal I am, he needs no external fuel. Nothing precedes him. Nothing contains him. Nothing sustains him. And Moses, he says, God says to him, if I am the eternal I am on your side, you don't need anything else. All those places where you feel like you aren't, I am. Moses is no longer about who you are it's about who I am and even though Moses was prepared because he spent 40 years in the wilderness why didn't he go to Moses and say oh but I prepared you you know every crook and crevice he didn't even though he could have he said no I'm not even going to use your past to qualify you the confidence you need is that I am is with you I am You want to know where confidence comes from? It's when you look through the eyes of faith, believing in everything, the good, the bad, the pretty, the ugly, the exciting, the disappointing, the tragedies, the triumphs. A sovereign God has been behind every circumstance in your life. And that same God is now calling you forward. If you trusted Him enough to prepare you for now, surely you could trust Him enough that He's calling you forward into what He's called you to. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? God, you deal with our insecurities this morning. You deal with them, Lord. Call us this morning to focus on who you are, not who we are not. But God, I'm not eloquent enough. But God, I'm not smart enough. But God, I'm not successful enough. God, you didn't choose us because we were any of those things. You said, we are not, but you are. You are enough. You are God enough. You said, Pastor Craig, I feel inadequate. Well, feeling inadequate is like a prerequisite to being used by God. It's like until you feel inadequate, you you really can't be used. You, You just clog up the line. Ooh, finally, the world's recognizing my talents. No, no, no. God prefers instruments who are broken, who feel insufficient, who know they have to lean on Him. But God, I'm not good enough. I know I am. Well, God, I'm not skilled enough. I know I am. But I'm not confident enough. I know I am. You may not be, Craig, but I, I always am. And my amness overcomes your notness. He is the great I am. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor Craig, today God has spoken to me. I know he's spoken to me. And for so long I've let my scars have the last word. But today I'm realizing my scars don't have the last word. His do. And my mistakes don't disqualify me from my future. God, nothing is wasted. Nothing, nothing, nothing is wasted. I'm not enough. You're not enough. Moses was not enough. But God is God enough for Moses and for you and for me. He is God enough.